Thanks, John. What I thought was really awesome is that uh, that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, has been played at every memorial. So do any of you guys uh, besides me have a rock collection? Right? I, I do. And, and anytime somebody I know goes on a trip to a foreign country, I usually always ask them to bring me back a rock, uh, especially if it's from places that have a, a significance to my family. Like I've got this neat little nugget uh, from near the Ringstrasse in Vienna. Uh, or, or I've got, is a great picture of it, a hand-sized chunk from a mountain range in central Germany that Bridget brought me back on her last trip, um, um, among others in this little collection. Uh, and you know, to me, they mean more than any touristy kind of souvenir that somebody could bring me back because they represent a connection to something real and, and something solid and something concrete. They, they give a sense of permanence uh, and of shared history like to think that maybe uh, one of my ancestors might have looked at or, or, or walked over or maybe even picked up that same little piece of stone and, and held it in their hands. Uh, and you know, that type of, of feeling, that imagery wasn't lost on the psalmist. In fact, the idea of God being a rock for his people is a really common theme in the book of Psalms, appearing about 20 times or so. And today is one of those times showing up for us today in Psalm 61. Uh, and for those of you that may be just joining us uh, in church here for the first time or online for the first time, we're doing an expository series through the book of Psalms. We started at number one, and we're on 61 today. And you know what we're going to be talking about for the next <clears throat> almost two years, right? <laughs> so that's, that's what we do. We preach expositorily through the scriptures, verse at a time. Uh, and today, Psalm 61, as David calls out to God, Lord, bring me to the rock that is higher than I. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, I encourage you to open up to Psalm 61, which is superscribed to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. And David writes, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah. And if you remember, Selah just means stop and think about what you've just read. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praise to your name as I perform my vows day by day. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. You know, I think if we could ask David, he might have agreed with my illustration in the opening that rocks can give a sense, metaphorically at least, of, of permanence and strength and shared history. And even if you guys don't have a, a personal rock collection of your own, uh, I think it's natural to associate rocks, and especially really big ones, with stability, right? Like, uh, think about Britain's amazing rock of Gibraltar, for example. I'm sure you've also at least seen pictures of it, uh, but if you haven't, it's this, this monolithic uh, limestone outcropping near the southwestern uh, tip of Europe on the Iberian Peninsula, and it rises up about 1,400 feet out of the water, and for centuries, it's been a symbol of sturdiness. 
But King David is saying today, that might be a great rock, but let me tell you about a rock that's even greater than Gibraltar. And that's the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. Uh, and when you and I, when we're being threatened by fear or, or worry or negative situations and thoughts, if we'll be willing to plant our feet firmly on him as our rock, we'll not ever be shaken. And we can stand firm in any storm of adversity or rising tide of danger that comes our way. As one commentator said on, on these verses, he said, this rock of Christ elevates us above our trouble and distress. He keeps us from being overwhelmed by rivers of sorrow and waves of disappointment and difficulty. And you know, that was really something that David knew something about, wasn't it? We've seen that in our look through a lot of these psalms. And just to kind of put this in some perspective for you, some scholars believe David wrote this psalm when his son Absalom was trying to kill him. You guys all remember that story, right? Just refresh you really quickly on the details if you don't remember. Uh, Absalom was David's overly ambitious and, and passionate son. Uh, killed his brother Amnon in 2 Samuel chapter 13 for assaulting their sister Tamar. Uh, and then after committing murder, he, he runs away to a place called Gesher and stays there for about three years. Now, eventually, he's reunited with David. David gets back together with his wayward son. But it wasn't a happy reunion because Absalom's heart was still unrepentant, and he wanted to be king instead of David. So he comes up with a plan. Comes up with a plan to stage a coup to overthrow the old man by any means necessary. And if you remember from the scriptures, Amnon was ruthless. But he was also really charismatic like his dad, and so... Uh, he was able to attract a lot of people to turn them against David. And humanly speaking, it didn't look very good. But the truth remained that Absalom did not have the authorization from heaven to take the throne from David because David had a covenant with God, an eternal covenant, one which was given through the prophet Nathan, if you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, <clears throat> when God said to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you offspring after you who shall come from your own body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so God gives this unconditional, this divine covenant promise that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David and from the tribe of Judah and he would establish a kingdom that would never end. And so, you know, Absalom wasn't so much coming against David, he was coming against the sovereign will of God uh, and brothers and sisters, may I say to you, whenever we do that, we're fighting a losing battle. Would you agree with that? Uh, because we're fighting against the Lord. And the Apostle Peter really draws on this uh, theme in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says, As you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
And so, you know, Peter is saying to us here, if I could show you a way to move through life without ever stumbling, if I could show you how to avoid life's disappointments, if I could show you how you never have to feel ashamed again, would you want to know about it? Would you guys want to know about it? Yeah. Well, come to the rock of Christ. Come to the holy cornerstone of the house of God and get connected and let him build you up. But you know what I think is, is just as equally striking about this verse is uh, he doesn't soft pedal the negative side either because for those outside the will of God, the weightiness of God's rock hard holiness is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And those who avoid it stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so here's the question that I want you to see. What effect does rejecting God and his purposes have on God's will? What effect does it have? The answer is none, right? I'll help you with the hard ones, right? It, it doesn't defeat God's purpose at all because the stone that the builders rejected, the one that they pitched out because they didn't like it has become the very heart of the corner, and so the point is, if you believe on this stone, you can't lose. And if you don't believe, you can't win. Because human belief does not frustrate or defeat the ultimate plans and purposes of God. If God planned and he did for Jesus to be the chief cornerstone, then humans can betray him. They can desert him. They can mock him. They can strike him and, and spit on him and, and beat him with rods. They can crown him with thorns. They can strip him and crucify him and they can bear him, but they cannot stop him from being what God destined him to be. And that's the living cornerstone of a great and glorious people of which we are a part, praise God. And so in other words, if any proud unbeliever like David's son Absalom should boast and say, hey, I'm going to choose my own destiny. Uh, I'm going to pick my own flavor of disobedience and I'm going to fix my own outcome and I'm going to be king around here people like that find out sooner rather than later that they may be very literally barking up the wrong tree uh, which it turns out is how Absalom died how he lost his life remember the Bible tells us on one particular day in 2 Samuel 18 that Absalom was riding on his mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak tree and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. And Absalom died right there. Died bringing an end to the rebellion uh, and giving stability back to God's intended line of succession. And I tell you that because with that in context, I think the words of David today come alive in Psalm 61.5 that we read, uh, particularly in verse 5 when David sang, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Because in this act, God had not only protected David, but had ensured his heritage, his intended heir. Uh, his son Solomon, who, who loved God and, and initially kept his law, ensured that he would succeed him on the throne. And you know, these things are more than just an interesting story. Uh, they're more than just a history lesson for us. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come, right? It happened to them, but the stories are just as much for us. The stories are for us and for our instruction. You see, because I don't share this with you guys just to, 
have a great story to tell or just to fill up 30 minutes in a service, but because we need to take a lesson here. The lesson that the same God that shielded David from the attack of the enemy shields us. Uh, that the same God who preserved David's life preserves ours. That the same God who made and kept every promise to his chosen ones has made promises to you and to me personally. And I don't know what all of you are going through today. Um, maybe your waters are rough, your storm is, is rising. Maybe for some folks your, your bills are due and some well overdue and your finances are a mess. Maybe for others your health is declining and now your peace is non-existent and your confidence is shaken. For some folks, maybe your mind is troubled and you feel like your hope is leaving you and your heart is broken. And it's in these overwhelming times when you have more questions than answers that we can really pray David's prayer today. Lord, lead me to that rock that's higher than I. Lord, lead me to that rock that's that's stronger than my sins. Lead me to the rock that's more powerful than my pain. Lead me to the rock that can see further down the road than just this afternoon. Father, lead me to the rock that uh, has a better plan than I can hope to work out for myself. Lord, lead me to the, the rock that has more wisdom and understanding than the doctors and the nurses and the lab technicians. Father, lead me to that rock that's more capable than I am of dealing with whatever it is that's hiding around the next corner. Because as, as one commentator said, remember today that whenever God allows life to get rocky, it's because he's urging you to the rock. And when you go to it, you find refuge, and you find help, and you find protection, and you find favor, and you find deliverance, and you find safety, and most of all, you find overwhelming grace. Grace to help in the day of trouble. The same grace that David received when he prayed in Psalm 61 today. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. And you know, the Bible has a, a lot of examples of individuals who from time to time forgot they were living in the presence of God. And, and David was really among them. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary uh, on this passage said, For the Jew, the center of the universe was Jerusalem where the ark of God was located, the throne of Jehovah. So David, in saying he was crying from the ends of the earth, must have meant that David was far from home and from the place of worship. But you know, for us modern-day Christians, we don't have to leave home to have an end-of-the-earth type experience, do we? You know, there's feelings where sometimes that, uh, even the godliest among us can feel that God is uh, as far away as a distant mountain peak. But you know, the reality is that we are constantly in God's presence, both individually and collectively. And if we feel distant, it's only because we don't recognize the reality of the world that's going on around us. You know, it's what uh, theologians call quorum deo. It's a, a phrase that literally means, uh, refers to the fact that we live out our lives in the presence of or before the face of God. Uh, and to live that way is to, to understand that whatever we're doing or wherever we're doing it, we are under his gaze. Uh, just before he died, R.C. Sproul wrote, uh, living quorum deo, living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that's motivated out of fear of punishment. It involves recognizing there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. There's no higher goal than offering honor to God. 
as we live out our lives on that firm plateau of his presence where God meets our needs. Which uh, led another favorite pastor of mine, Alistair Begg, to ask the question, why do you and I scour the earth to find another foundation when this one is strong enough to bear all the weight that we could ever build on it? Why do we look around for another? Because that foundation is Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah who David looked to today in Psalm 61 when he said, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. And I know we already said we know that David probably writes this psalm when his earthly rival for the throne is killed, when his earthly kingdom is secured. But you know what? We know enough about David to know that even he knew he wouldn't live forever, right? He knew he wasn't the one who would have an eternal reign But he knew there would be one who would come after him who would be the hope of Israel and the light of the nations and the rock of God. And he would be that one that would build the everlasting kingdom whose foundations won't ever be shaken. And in fact, when he did come, when Jesus eventually comes to earth, he said as much to us in one of his parables. It's one of the parables of our Lord from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus told the story of two men, one who built his house on a rock and one who built his house on the sand tells us in Matthew 7, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell in great was the fall of it. And the meaning of the parable is pretty simple. It's pretty obvious. We need to have good foundations. Right? You know, like with a, a literal house, it's risky to build on sand because the foundation will, will be unsteady and the house eventually is going to suffer some kind of damage. And you'd be wasting all the, the resources and all the time and all the work put into building the house in the first place. And that would all have been gone for nothing. But in contrast, it's the wise who builds his house on a sure foundation anchoring it into the bedrock that can withstand the test of time. When I was thinking about this, it kind of reminded me of when we tore up the chancel area here to put in this ramp. Marshall will tell you that when guys like Dick Jordan back there and the men that helped build it, they built it to last. Uh, they, they anchored it tight. I thought we were going to have to get dynamite up in here to blast out that section so that we could put the ramp in. But, you know, Jesus' sermon and my, my point by extension is not construction methods or or building codes, but the spiritual meaning that everyone who hears these words of Jesus and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on a rock. And on a solid footing, when it seems like the foundations are crumbling around us and everything in the world seems to be set up to make us turn away from God and and from his foundation, even our own feelings sometimes pull us toward doing the exact opposite things that the scripture tells us. But the wise man is going to follow God's word anyway, despite the pressure. Not as a way to earn salvation or to show off, but because he trusts in God. And as we follow the Lord, learning to trust and obey him, our spiritual house becomes steady and becomes solid, becomes unshakable by circumstances because it's anchored to the rock that transcends the onslaughts of time and the passage of the ages. And I want to close with just a a really quick story that I think will pull this all together. 
Uh, and, and just another proof that the, the Holy Spirit was all over this sermon this week. Uh, in 1943, a lady named Ruth K. Jones, a pastor's wife in Pennsylvania, and the mother of five was distressed by the headlines she was reading in her Pittsburgh newspaper. She saw World War II casualty lists, and she knew the Allies were making progress, but it was slow progress through Italy. Uh, supplies were rationed at home, uh, and everyone's living under this incredible strain, but she opens up her Bible to 2 Timothy 3, and Ruth studied the page, and she pondered the opening words that said, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Uh, and this song kind of began composing itself in her mind, and, and she jotted down the lyrics on this little uh, pad of paper she kept in her apron, while a series of notes played in the background of her mind, and it was only later that she realized those notes were coming from the, the mantel clock with its uh, iconic Westminster chimes. But pretty soon the, the notes and the music congealed to become uh, one of the most beloved songs of the 1940s and 50s. Uh, one that by God's providence we sang this morning because if you remember the hymns are picked a month in advance uh, before the sermon. Before anybody has any idea what I'm going to talk about, even me, uh, the hymns are picked a month in advance. But we sang this morning in times like these. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And you know, Mary's song was inspired not only by 2 Timothy 3, but by Hebrews 619 which says therefore let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God for we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our souls a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf and you know that really is the the bedrock of what David and all the other Old Testament prophets are, are really aiming at. I mean, yeah, it's great that Jesus protects us from the ebbs and flows and, uh, and trials and tumults of life. But if it's only for this lifetime, what value is it really? If it's just for now, how good is it? None. We need a hope that's more certain. We need a hope that's more lasting. We need a hope that Psalm 61 closes with today when David said, Lord, let me dwell in your tent forever. And brothers and sisters, he's not talking about a camping trip. David is saying, let me live in the tabernacle of God's house forever. And there's only one way to get to do that. That's by repenting and believing the gospel. And it's not just knowing about it in your head with no connection to your life. No, rather to believe is to trust and to entrust yourself to Christ the rock and to change your mind about whoever you think Jesus is if it's not the Christ presented in the Gospels. Uh, if you're here today and you think Jesus was just a historic figure uh, who had great influence on Western culture, you've got to repent and change your mind. If you're here today and you think Jesus was just a great teacher of good moral lessons, you've got to repent and change your mind. If you're here today and you think Jesus uh, was just a fairy tale made to comfort and control the uneducated masses, it's time to repent and change your mind and trust in Christ as your Savior. Take refuge in him. Take refuge in that rock that is higher than you and that's higher than I. Amen.